welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bowhunters. From the latest archery equipment and expert shooting advice to proven bowhunting tactics and the sport's biggest personalities, we've got you covered. Now, here's your host, Editor Christian Bird. All right, welcome back to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. We are the voice of bowhunting, and today we're the voice of technical bowhunting because I've got a couple gentlemen on the line with me today who are among the most technically-minded folks in the archery industry today. In my humble opinion, I've got Nate Grace and Matt Grace from G5 Outdoors and G5 G5 Prime Bows. Gentlemen? Welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. Oh, it's good to be here. Thanks. Yeah, um, G5, obviously, um, a company that uh, has, is no stranger to the bow hunting community. You guys have been making uh, broadheads and, and various bow accessories for uh, how many years now have you guys been doing this? Yeah, we, we started in uh, 2000, so it'd be, we're in the, going into our uh, 17th year. Awesome. So 17 years, and then in more recent years, uh, you launched a couple different bow companies. Quest Bow Hunting came along first, and then uh, the one that really has probably blazed some significant trails in the technology side and design side of, of uh, compound bows is G5 Prime. When did you guys launch prime has it been five or six years now actually it's been um 2010 is when we started okay so seven this is your seven years now with prime. Yeah, this will be our seventh year awesome um you know i don't know if our listeners realize of course i guess anytime you're going to build a bow or a broadhead you've got to have some engineering background but your family uh it's kind of like uh, a whole a whole family of engineers and i guess your dad and and maybe even your grandfather before that the machining expertise the engineering engineering expertise goes back a long way in the Grace family. Uh, why don't one of you talk a little bit just about, you know, the origins of the company and kind of the mindset that you take uh, when it comes to designing things for archery and bow hunting? Yeah, um, well, I mean, yeah, our history, is, it's, always, it's um, going back. Uh, so we're actually a third, uh, third generation uh, family business. So our grandfather started the business. Actually, really, should say my grandparents uh, started the uh, the uh, the business in 1968. Uh, it was called uh, Grace Engineering, and um, and uh, and really what he, uh, what they started with and what they became uh, known for is, is making uh, really precision components. Um, and what they actually the first industry that they started with was in uh, the impact printing uh, their um, industry. So they made parts for. Uh, for uh, Burroughs and uh, for IBM, um, and um, and really what they became uh, really good with was, as I mentioned earlier, was just real precision, kind of difficult parts to manufacture, and that's really been our history at Grace Engineering and throughout the years uh, with uh, my father um, as well uh, when he came on into the business, and then um, with uh, Nate and myself as well. That, that's really our background. Is we're, our background first is as a manufacturer. Of precision, you know, difficult parts, um, 
and uh, and so we, that's you know that's that's where we started uh, back in 2000 when we started G5. That's uh, we kind of took that manufacturing background and what we learned from that and really started applying the uh, the engineering and the design of the products as well as the uh, you know the marketing and selling of the products. So that was kind of a new you know, at least you know newer endeavors for us, uh, especially on a uh, consumer products. Uh, basis rather than making components for other people. So Sure, sure. And I know you guys still do a lot of, you know, engineering for other industries. I know you do some things for medical. So clearly, you know, that, that precision and that engineering expertise is still a big part, you know, of what you guys do. Now, how did, uh, you know, Nate, I know you guys are avid archers and bow hunters. Is that how, you know, you just looked at what was on the, the marketplace maybe back in 2000 and thought, you know, we've got some ideas. Maybe we could bring some things that are improvement over what's out there. And was it driven out of your own personal interests uh, as bow hunters to, to jump into this marketplace? Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, my dad, since we were little kids, has always talked about making his own broadhead. And um, him and his two brothers, uh, the second generation of the, of the business, um, uh, we're really at the forefront of uh, uh, chemical milling or uh, chemical etching uh, process. And one of the byproducts of that was a very sharp blade. And so, and we, they were doing screw machines and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, it was a perfect, we had everything here to make the best broadheads. And so um, my dad had always talked about it. Um, and then it just, I don't know what it was. Um, I know my brother and my dad were, you know, really starting to talk about it on the business side of things. And uh, they actually went to the ATA uh, show, uh, I think, in 99 or 98. Yeah, the year before we started G5. Yeah. And then, you know, um, I just kind of got on board with... That sounds a lot more fun than making stuff for other people. So let's see if I can fit into this uh, equation here. And so, yeah, I mean, we grew up as a, a bow hunting family, um, you know, um, uh, and uh, the, the first, you know, I, I always had a, a hard time. For some reason, my arrows always found the shoulder. Um, it didn't matter wherever I aimed as a kid. Uh, it, it just went to the shoulder and I always had penetration problems and, and kind of found out, you know, I always had just uh, problems keeping that broadhead together. So that was a big uh, uh, motivation for me when I was trying to put a lot of my dad's ideas over the last few years to paper and, and to draw it was a, a solid piece broadhead uh, utilizing a, a manufacturing process, a MIM, that he had kind of uh, played around with uh, years before uh, before that. So Gotcha. So that was the genesis of the Montec, right? <laughs> Yeah, well, the first was the two blade called B fifty two, and that um, which isn't on the market anymore. But um, and then the the second head was the uh, the Montec, which is which has become you know pretty legendary in the bow hunting community. I don't know if you guys had a nickel for every animal that was killed with a Montec, you'd all be retired by now, right? <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's you know when we we first got into it, we just kind of thought, well, we'll get into the industry. It probably won't work because you know the odds aren't really, you know, in your favor, especially a third generation family business doing something drastically different. But we kind of figured, hey, maybe get some discounted hunts, maybe some free product and we'll still do our day jobs. Um, yeah, and it's definitely uh, gone the other way and, and been real successful. So Sure. And so, so you know, 
today, you know, the Montec is still out there and has a great following. You've got another fixed blade model, the Striker, which also, you know, is kind of legendary as well. And and you eventually got into mechanical broadheads as well. I I know you've you've got the Havoc out there, and I understand uh, that you've got a brand new mechanical head coming here in 2017. I had a chance to see uh, a prototype of it back at the Archery Trade Show in January, and I guess it's just about to hit the market. It's called the Dead Meat. Tell me and the listeners a little bit about the Dead Meat Broadhead and why, you know, it's so exciting for you guys. Yeah, um, we've, we've had the, the Havoc, which is a two-blade, and then the, the T3, which is a three-blade. And uh, uh, like everything, uh, uh, when you come out with it, there's always uh, little things that, that you, you know you can make better or, or something that you, maybe you would uh, do differently. And so uh, one of the things that we wanted to do was, was make a, a, a three-blade mechanical, and that's what the dead meat is. Um, and... Uh, we wanted the uh, retention system of the blades to be a little bit more intuitive for the for the user. Um, the spider clip on the T3 um, it works well, um, but I think when people look at it, the average guy is a little confused with what's going on there, and it's it's just not intuitive and, and uh, um, maybe common sense to them. So with the dead meat, we really focused on that retainer to make sure that we could just have a ball and socket design to where you just push it, it clicks into place. There's that positive feedback that you know that the blades um, engage properly and that you know that it's not gonna rattle loose. Um, and, and it's just a simple um, uh, system. Um, the other one that we wanted to look at too was the overall system of when guys shoot mechanicals. So forever they've, they, we've always wanted mechanicals to fly as much like, or, or a broadhead to fly as much like a field point as possible. And that's what mechanicals were supposed to be good at. But over the last few years, the mechanicals are looking more and more like fixed blades that just become bigger fixed blades once they hit the target. Um, so we wanted to keep that low profile again, like the T3. So it's very aerodynamic, but it's still different than that field tip. So what we decided to do was we'll solve that problem because a lot of people will tune their bows for a field tip. They'll get the broadheads out and, and they'll shoot those and they'll impact differently. And with mechanical, it's, you know, it's not a huge adjustment where fixed plates are maybe a little bit more, mm. but then they'll tune that bow. So they, they're fixed point or their uh, broadhead will f- impact the same as their as their uh, field tip. So what we decided to do is make a field tip fly up more like a, a uh, the broadhead, and, and each broadhead has its own um, uh, 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 flight characteristics. So sure. um, like the Montec versus the T3, I, most guys would look at them and go, yeah, the T3 is going to fly a little bit better, and, and, and it does, and especially uh, a crosswind and that sort of thing. And so what we did is we, we built a little uh, wind tunnel and uh, we've been testing different shapes of, uh, of field tips to make it fly more like that, uh, the dead meat. And what we found is that a typical field tip would have about um, about 23% uh, less uh, head-on drag as a field tip. So that would be more the vertical um uh, impact and then, the, but it's got 63% less crosswind drag as as a broadhead. Even a very low profile 
uh, mechanical, uh, like the T3, um, has 63% more drag, uh, crosswind drag, so that's left and right impact um, than the broadhead. So what we did is we developed a ballistically matched point uh, to fly exactly like the dead meat. So, uh, so you buy a package of dead meat, uh, 100, 125 grains, and uh, you'll get a practice head or the BMP in it with it. So instead of using your field tip, you'll be able to use the BMP to practice with, tune your bow to, shoot. You can shoot it in the bag targets. Uh, it won't eat up your foam target, you know, your expensive broadhead target if, if you have one of those like a broadhead will. Um, and then when you're ready to, to go hunting, you just swap out the head knowing that they've been specifically designed in the wind tunnel and validated outside of that to have the exact flight characteristics in both um, vertically and horizontally. So if there's a long, you know, crosswind, um, they're still going to impact the same as your broadhead would. Yeah, um, and, and, it's, so, and it's interesting because, like you said, you know, there are there are some other broadheads out there currently that have uh, practice heads, if you will. But, yeah. but the BMP is a little different because those other broadheads and the practice heads kind of resemble the broadheads themselves, like in a closed position. And some of them have, you know, some parts that'll move a little bit, maybe rattle a little bit. The BMP, it really is, uh, you know, and for folks, it's hard, you know, because we're doing this on a podcast versus, uh, uh, you know, television or something. Uh it looks like a field point, though, and it, it basically it's got some it's got some cutouts, if you will. If I remember it right, it's kind of got like some scooped surfaces yep. in there, but it's it's essentially a, a solid one piece field point that you know, like you said, you can shoot that into your bag targets, you can shoot that into pretty much any kind of target, and it's not going to rip it up like some of these other field points, uh, or rather, some of these other practice points have a tendency to do grab little sliver, slivers of foam and things like that and uh so this is very very much well thought out and what you'd expect from you know really a bunch of engineers you know who happen to be bow hunters it's a cool concept and you know one thing that you guys mentioned to me and talk about this a little bit is this idea that going forward whether it's uh, broadheads that you guys develop in the future, you know, new models beyond the uh, dead meat or even uh, making aftermarket practice points for, for competitors. You know, you could essentially by using that wind tunnel and, and doing the, the analysis, you could build uh, a custom field point that essentially matches any broadhead that's out there and eliminating the need for us to actually have to go out and shoot broadheads and, and tear up our targets. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and the other part of that is, is um, some of the other technologies that have come out. Um, there's, you know, different chronographs that have come out that are using Doppler. So you can actually see the trajectory downrange. You know, you can see the, the amount of drop at 20, 40, 60, 80 yards and compare that from, from a broadhead to, to this BMP. Um, but there's also some other technology to where um, you can validate that, beyond, you know, outside of a, a wind tunnel testing and just um, the, and that was kind of part of where this was going or, or what started this was um, there's a lot of stuff technology that's coming out to just the average bow hunters to where you can be um, more critical in, in those kind of assessments so but yeah it, that's you know and, and at the ATA we actually had a few guys that shoot for other broadhead companies come up and say you're going to have that for for their heads because they were you know super excited about it um 
And uh, yeah, I think it could really solve a, a, a big thing for the average bow hunter. You know, I mean, it, it becomes very kind of a stressful part of that. It's right before season, and you know, you know that that switching from from field tips to broadheads can always be a little bit of a, a challenging thing. And, and um, you know, we, we think the BMP can really kind of ease some of that and uh, hopefully make better archers in the woods, uh, bow hunters in the woods at the end of the day. So, Yeah, now talk to me about, you said, you know, we it was proven not just in the lab, but, you know, sort of in real world scenarios. How extensively amount of shooting are you guys doing to prove this out? You know, are you actually going out and shooting, you know, at 60, 80, 100 yards and more uh, with, you know, the broadhead as well as the BMP, and then in addition to, you know, that sort of testing, what sort of practical results are you seeing in the field, either, you know, with yourselves and your own hunting uh, adventures, as well as, you know, your pro staff and whatnot in terms of, you know, the, the, the effectiveness that you're seeing in the field with the dead meat? Yeah, the, the, the testing is, you know, 60 uh, yards up to 100 yards that we're primarily doing the testing. And, and a lot of it is using that technology, um, the Velocitip um, and the, the other Doppler chronograph that I, off the top of my head, I can't remember the name of it. but um, Lab radar? So, yeah, the lab radar. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, you know, that's that's one aspect of it. Um, but then just grouping and we, you know, we have shooting machines and and one of the things that we've done is is not just have different kind of setups in the same bow um, and have different bows shooting, um, but also a, a tuned arrow versus a non-tuned arrow and, and different severities of that to, to see how far, um, how capable or, um, is, is that. And, you know, when you have a very tuned, a well-tuned arrow, or you do that with with anything, a well-tuned car or, or anything, you know, it, it can have, it's way more forgiving, right? So, what we thought is, well, some of the guys, you know, through the years, they they don't maybe have that um, archery tech, or they didn't have the time to super tune that bow and arrow combination. So, if they had a not so um, tuned arrow, um, is that BMP going to fly the same 60, 80, 100 yards? And so far, what we've been finding is even untuned arrows, they, they fly similarly. Um, and that's that's what we're looking for. So um, gotcha. it, it's not just a perfectly tuned arrow where you're going to see that, that group. Um, and the biggest one that we've noticed um, in, in just everyday shooting is, you know, vertically, you know, there's not a huge difference. Like I said, there's about 23% difference um, uh, from the dead meat to the BMP. Um, but it's really that crosswind. If there's not a lot of wind, you know, those right and left, you know, you know, you know, not too big of an issue, but any kind of breeze, that's when you really start to see that BMP really start to, uh, uh, you start to see the value that it has. Now, what about, now with a name like dead meat, I want to know, is there any meat that's dead? I mean, uh, have you had people out hunting with some prototypes? And uh, if so, what sort of, you know, results are you seeing there in terms of uh, field effectiveness? Yeah, um, we've, uh, yeah, we've killed a few things. Um, it's, it's pretty uh, traumatic. Uh, um, a lot of our testing uh, is, uh, you know, we, we do a lot in the, in, the, in the lab here, but there's always that having to take it out in the field to have it, um, to see if you can replicate the testing. So, um, yeah, there's been quite a few, uh, a lot of blood spilled on the ground, I guess. 
<laughs> don't be don't be afraid to bla- brag about your carnage now. Now tell me a little bit about uh, dead meat specs. You said it's going to be hundred grain, hundred twenty five grain. Yes, and then also a hundred grain in deep six as well. Okay, and what's it's a three blade head and uh, pretty cool the way that your blades deploy. Talk to talk to me a little bit about the the cutting diameter and uh, and that deployment system, the way that you have those blades pivoting down along the ferrule as they as they come out on impact. Yeah, I mean, if, if you know what the T3 is and how it functions, it's, it's really kind of similar, but closed, it's, it's uh, right around 5 8 uh, diameter closed, so it's, it's uh, quite small. Um, and then there's, a, there's on the end of the blade, there's like a ball, and, and that's where we use in uh, MIM to, to form those, uh, just like the T3 blades. Um, that fits down into the ferrule and, and into the, uh, to the slots. Um, so um, the blades are very easy to replace. Um, and, uh, you know, when that broadhead hits the target, um, it takes about four and a half pounds of, of force to be able to open that. So it opens very easily. Um, usually you'll have that full inch and a half. That's what the cutting diameter is uh, on impact, um, not just a couple inches into the, uh, into the animal or the target. Um, and so it's it's a, a three blade. The blades are about uh, forty five thousand thick, so they're they're super stout and strong. Um, and the uh, the retaining clip is is reusable, so it's not a one shot and then throw it away. Uh, you'll be able to get between uh, five and ten shots into a uh, any kind of target uh, before that starts to wear out at all. Gotcha. So, it's, so so that's the dead meat broadhead, and you know I'm excited because we do a broadhead test every year and um, I'm looking forward to having a chance to test the dead meat here uh, in the near future because uh, I know from past testing your your Havoc did extremely well in in, in our last uh, mechanical broadhead test so uh, I expect continued uh, good things out of you guys and, and, and I know that it's going to be a successful launch it's coming out here this spring right? Yeah, it's uh, mid, uh, mid to late spring. Um, we'll be uh, launching it uh, formally, you know, and, and starting to ship them. Gotcha. So really cool new head and, and really cool new system with that BMP and, and and kind of like a whole new paradigm that you guys are sort of pioneering there with a, with a field point that's specifically matched to a particular model of broadhead. Like you said, could definitely be something that uh, dramatically improves all of our preparations, regardless of what head we shoot. The idea that we could have a field point that truly, you know, cuts beyond the marketing claims of quote unquote flies like a field point to actually having a field point that flies exactly like our chosen broadhead pretty cool stuff so i give you guys kudos on that i want to shift gears now and move over from the from the broadhead side of things to the bow side of things because i know that it's also been uh an exciting year for prime and I hear that you guys are getting tremendous response on your new Synergy lineup. Before we dive specifically into the Synergy, though, for folks who are listening, if you're not familiar with Prime Bows, you need to get on their website, which is g5prime.com, and check them out because, uh, as we've been saying throughout this episode, you know, these guys take a very technical approach 
to what they do. And when they build things, they don't do anything halfway. They don't cut corners. And, and they always bring some innovation to the table. And sort of, uh, there's so many things, and we'll talk about lots of different innovations, but I think it's hard to start any conversation, guys, about Prime without talking about parallel cam technology. And uh, certainly, I, I would consider that as a layman and as a, uh, you know, not only as a, a editor of a bow hunting magazine, but as a bow hunter, as a consumer of bow hunting product, right? To me, when I look at your bows, it's that parallel cam that visually certainly sets you apart from the competition. And then knowing a little bit about that, there's so many benefits that brings to me as a shooter. So I, I don't care which one of you tackles it, but tell the listeners a little bit about the parallel cam technology, what that means for us as bow hunters and how that has maybe evolved over the seven years that you guys have been building the prime bows. Yeah, the, the parallel cam, um, it was the parallel cam and the, the flexing cable guard that were kind of uh, the, the two big things that we came up with uh, year one. But um, like Matt had mentioned earlier, our background's in manufacturing. And so we were making bows for other people uh, before Prime. And one of the things that we usually got hammered on um, was uh, cam lean. And uh, at the time, we weren't actually designing uh, the bows uh, as much as we were developing the manufacturing processes and manufacturing the parts. Uh, but that was always a, a, one of the, the, the big negative feedbacks coming back is some bows would have cam lean, some would have, you know, um, no cam lean, some of them, you know, it was just very inconsistent bow to bow to bow. And, uh, you know, one of the first things we thought is, well, if you could, you know, move those cables in or get rid of the cable guard, that would definitely help. But the, the cams are inherently want to lean, uh, because the, the string track is to the side of, of a cable track and maybe there's a second cable track next to that and they're all side by side. Um, and so when you look at that cam like a teeter totter, um, the the cams um, uh, before the parallel cam they, they all wanted to lean and as you do the ball uh, the string back it um, that teeter totter would kind of just go from left to right right to left there was really no reason or rhyme to it um, there was no control basically and so what we developed was uh, where we basically split the string and put the cable down the center what we're effectively doing is putting all the all the force uh, um, on the cam right in the center of the limb. So even if you draw it back, um, that load doesn't change. It's always down the center of the limb. Um, and that was kind of the beauty of it. So uh, what what that initially did and what we wanted people to focus on is, is we were able to drastically uh, eliminate um, and, and reduce the, the cam lean in a bow. But what we really were going after was the knot travel, the horizontal knot travel. So we wanted to make sure if that cam was standing straight up as you drew the bow back, it would stay straight up. It wouldn't want to start to lean as you draw it back or, or whatever because that directly affects knot travel. Um, and one of the things that we always wanted to do with Prime was be one of the easiest bows to tune. Um, that again, just like on the BMP, you know, there, there's a lot of that um, anxiety that goes into either a dealer setting up a, a shooter or just a, a guy in his garage that's tweaking his bow and, and doing that sort of thing. That tuning is is can be very, you know. Um, uh, 
time-consuming and finicky, And it brings those questions, well, am I really tuned? When that, that buck comes up or that, that bowl or whatever, am I, is, is everything there? And so one of the issues that's creating important horizontal knock travels was cam lean. Um, and with that parallel cam that was uh, in the flexing cable guard together, we were able to um, drastically change that and improve that. Um, yeah. but well, and, we, and, and here's the thing, you know, if I – can just interrupt you for a second when it comes to cam lean and you talk about tuning and this is something you know i think about if i have you know and i'm sure you guys have been there too you probably understand it even better than i do quite frankly because you design bows and i just shoot them but uh if i've got a bow okay that's got some cam lean which is not unusual at all let's say i get a new bow from company x and it comes and i take it out of the box and i stick it in my bow vise and i look stand back and and eye up the cams and the string and i can see that one of the cams is leaning and the string is kind of coming off of that cam sideways and then straightening out as it goes down you know to the bottom cam i may be able to do something to that bow to eliminate that cam lean at brace but i still don't know if the cam is straight at right. full draw, or if it wobbles uh, a little bit halfway and then comes back. And you see what I'm saying is that sometimes yeah. I think a lot of us, we, we think that we fixed the cam lean because we saw that it leaned, and then we did something to the bow with the yoke or the cables or whatever, and now it doesn't lean anymore when it's just sitting there at rest. But that still doesn't mean that it's tuned or that you eliminated the cam lean because you still have no idea what that cam is doing throughout the draw cycle. You know? Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, that, that's a big deal. And and, you know, with, with the cam lean and, and the other systems, there's a bias to it. And so it's 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 really hard to fight that. And that's where a lot of guys are like, well, you know, you kind of have to torque this bow or, or, or you know, uh, inside or outside or you better be neutral. I mean, there's a lot of that. What is this bow's character like? Uh, when really you should just push the, you know, push the riser forward, pull the string back and, and aim and shoot. That should be the, the only thing. Uh, but the other thing that we focused on isn't just... And, and this is our background as a manufacturer. Um, you can design a product all you want and it'd be the best design out there, but if you don't manufacture it, every bow can be very different. Um, even if it's the exact same uh, model and draw length and draw weight, you know, and, and they were built together, those three bows, you know, a lot of the feedback we got from dealers and shooters around the world is, boy, I ordered two exact bows and I got them and they didn't shoot anything alike. Mm. Why is that? Well, and that's some of the stuff that we've been going after. is isn't just to, to, on paper, uh, design-wise, take cam, cam lean out of it, and, you know, improve not travel, that sort of thing, but it's to do that on every single bow and how can we reduce the industry tolerance, which there is none, but what we were able to find was it was, you know, quite large, and so just every year we've just tried to cut that tolerance in half and cut it in half to get a more consistent uh, uh product and, and improve that experience yeah so let's yeah. talk about that a little bit i know okay so we, yeah parallel cam technology and has done you know a ton to center the load in the system to reduce you know that tendency for the cam saline because you're dramatically reducing you know the amount of torque that's introduced you guys yep. use uh very high high-end materials talk a little bit about 
what you build your risers out of uh, and how that might compare to industry standard. Talk about what you build your strings out of and how that compares to industry standard. Again, all these things that you're doing, like you say, to try and increase the precision, increase the consistency, and, and eliminate you know any of that variability from bow to bow. Yeah, I mean, when we first started, uh, um, we, we came up with 7,000 series of uh, aluminum risers. Um, and in the last uh, two years, we've gotten away from that, and all of our competitors have moved into that finally. Um, but what that was was a, a stronger, uh, stiffer material uh, than the 6061 that is um, still probably the, the majority of aluminum or metal risers that are made are made out of 6061. Um, but again, you know, the thing that we found out real quickly with, with the risers, it, it also has a lot to do with the feel, the noise of, of the of the shot, but also the knock travel. If the top half of the riser is flexing more than the bottom half, then you're going to have, you know, uh, poor vertical knock travel, even if your cams are synced and slaved together like a lot of the cam systems say they are. So that riser has a, a, a big uh, part into that. So um, we've always looked at um, designs that, that help, but like you said, the material um, can also help you. Um, and that's where we went the the 7000 series. But lately we've gone to a material we call 82X, and it's, um, uh, it's much stiffer than the 7000 series was uh, in relation to weight. Uh, the, the term is called specific stiffness. It has a higher specific stiffness uh, than the 7000 series or the 6061 does. And, um, and, and again, using the, the understanding that the, the top and bottom half uh, of the riser moves, uh, we, we went with a, um, we wanted to add upon that, uh, that material to, to help as well if we can reduce the overall movement altogether. Um, but all risers move uh, and uh, um, oh, actually, yeah, and again, just to, and, they, and they move together. Yeah, um, yep. you know, one of the other. Um, uh, yeah, just just to interrupt you on that too, and people don't maybe realize. I think you guys have some videos on your website. Like, it's amazing how much. When, you know, when you pick up your bow and shoot, you know, you think, well, you know, you, my riser is made out of a solid piece of metal. I mean, it's not going to move all that much. It's not going to bend. Right. You know, it's not going to flex. When you watch some of the high-speed, you know, slow-motion video that is available, it's incredible how much some of these bows move. It's like a piece of spaghetti wiggling yeah. back and forth when you let that arrow go. Uh, it's very surprising. And, and yeah. obviously... Obviously, that introduces, you know, all sorts of influence onto your arrow. Oh, yeah. And, and we're talking, you know, amounts of that top part of the riser could move a quarter to three-eighths of an inch on, on bows. I mean, it, it's a lot. It's just it's hard to see when you're drawing it back because everything's moving and, and, and shaking and that sort of thing. And when we first started um, – really diving into that we have a, a few uh pro shooters here at the factory and it really messed them up for a few months seeing that um, because they were like i didn't realize it moved nearly that much how does anybody hit anything if the risers move that much um it, it is amazing but we do have uh some video online um we've, we've done some tests um and uh, we, we have a lot of that online that, that guys can go and see. Gotcha. What what other features, before we move on specifically to the Synergy, uh, anything else, uh, other features, factors, manufacturing processes that you guys feel really set the prime bow apart from the competition that's out there? 
I think, you know, some of the things that it's hard, maybe not as obvious, but I think just, the, the, you know, from the materials we put into it, you know, that, that's a big thing. Um, but um, I think people, whenever we give tours here, um, people are always amazed the, the amount of interaction we have with the product. And it might sound, a, you know, a little bit strange, but I think a lot of people think, you know, maybe they have these kind of, magic machines that make bows um you know we have pretty sophisticated machines that make a lot of the components but there's a it's an amazing amount of human interaction with that bow as it's being produced um um, all the way through the quality side of things i think that's probably i think uh, something with with our background in in making components for very demanding you know industries such as medical and, and others um we put a lot of a lot of steps into our manufacturing process to ensure that all the way from the components being manufactured the way they should be all the way to the final assembly we put a lot of quality inspection in there and um and and you guys build all these bows right at your facility in michigan yes yep so everything's made here uh uh, in michigan so that since we're really a manufacturer first um we uh we do everything in house that so we can we control the process all the way to even the uh the decorating or the camouflage or the finish even on our target bones uh we actually do that in house Um, not not all the manufacturers do do it in house some do but um, yeah we do that in-house as well. So, um, And it's worth mentioning your warranty a little bit, too. I mean, you guys have a lifetime warranty on your prime bows, which, honestly, that's pretty standard. But you guys go above and beyond with a couple other things that not everybody does. Uh, prime bows come with lifetime replacement of string and cables. And you can tell me a little bit about that. I don't know if that's every so many years or whenever the shooter feels that it's necessary or what. And then you do a six-month tune up so people can send their bows back to you after six months to get uh, kind of uh, tuned back or super tuned and uh, the 100 cycle assurance program I think you you basically cycle every bow 100 times before you ever send it out to a dealer so there's several things here talk to me about all those sort of little bonus value added things that come with the prime bow yeah well, um, so obviously people are making an investment into a, a quality bow and so that's we wanted to provide those extra services. So the, the free strings, it's, uh, it's to the original uh, owner of the bow, uh, uh, and that's um, it's a free set of strings for every uh, two years. Gotcha. Uh, so how that works, you know, they obviously the person uh, purchased the bow, turned in their registration, and then um, um, and then they uh, after two years they're able to go back into the uh, to their prime dealer and uh, and receive a, a, a free set of uh, strings and uh, cables. Which is an awesome benefit, guys, because as you, anyone who's listening knows, uh, you easily can be in a couple hundred dollars on a good set of uh, a custom bowstring and cables. So you shoot a prime bow for 10 years, uh, that's like getting another price of your bow in, in free strings and cables. They're pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and the dealers that, that we've partnered with um, to, to uh, you know, sell and service our, our bows, um, like you said, uh, after you, you register your bow, um, uh, you're given a letter to go back into your dealer six months after you have the bow for a, for a checkup. And basically, they're just looking for, you know, make sure everything's going well, you know, uh, like the string hasn't stretched or, or anything other abnormal, make sure the customer's happy. Um, and... Uh, feeling, you know, confident and shooting well. So, I mean, 
Um, so they can go back in and uh, we reimburse the dealer for that for that cost. Um, but the other thing that we do before we ship every bow is like you said, we have that hunter cycle assurance. So we actually assemble the bow, uh, we kind of do like a rough tuning to it, and then we actually stick it into a, a machine that draws the bow back a hundred times and lets it down. Um, and we found that that was a bigger deal to control that string stretch um, the and, and a few of the other things that people have always kind of attacked certain things. It was, you know, when you string up a bow, I mean, you're taking straight limbs and you're bending them. You're taking different materials and stuff, and now you're adding a lot of load to it. And so, you know, the strings settling down in the track, um, those kind of things all, all happen and, and you really can't do anything like when you used to buy a bow or with a lot of other bows it's like you know you you, you get it the guy gets it all tuned up puts a peep in and, and a d-loop and it's like you know everything's tuned go go shoot two you know 200 250 times come back and let me retune everything it's like boy that's just kind of a big hassle it's like well why don't we just do that before we ship the bow so when you set it up you just those first 250 shots are just like the next 250 because everything's already kind of settled in. Um, yeah, and and yeah. the other thing it allows us to do is make sure that everything was put together properly. You know, I mean, I mean, it, there are, you know, people are people and sometimes you make mistakes. And so the more time we can spend with that product uh, before it gets out, the more we can catch those things. You know, if there was a bad bearing or something like that, or, if, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a noise because someone didn't put, you know, grease under a rocker or just something simple like that. Uh, you can find that before it ever gets shipped out. So, right. Um, right different reasons we do that but um well let's let's jump over and 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 hone in specifically on your 2017 uh synergy because i know that that's generating quite a bit of buzz uh i had talked to matt when we were setting this up sounds like you guys are getting an awesome response and i know that that name synergy was chosen very purposely uh because the big thing about this bow is just how rock steady it is on the target talk to me about the synergy design and why you guys are marketing this bow as uh, a rig that truly you know helps you keep that pin where you want it when you're at full draw yeah, I mean, um, you know, we've really been focused on the on the the bow being accurate to itself. You know, the knock travel on the cam lean and and all those kind of things, the tunability of it. Um, and so, what we started to feel like we started to have a good grasp of that. So let's start looking at the archer. What does the archer need um, in order to be more accurate? And so, one of the things that um, that the industry hasn't really looked at a whole lot. I mean, there's been companies through, through the history that have looked at it a little bit, um, but it's the aiming part. And, and I know for me, um, you know, if, if I could get my pen to slow down that movement, you know, um, or, or be dead, you know, rock solid or something, that, that would make me a better archer. So what we did is we, we looked um, – we look to do that. We, we look to center the energy of the archer through the bow, and that's where that, like you had um, mentioned before about the synergy, is, is it's, it's that centered energy was what we um, were focused on, and that's what came up with that name. Um, it's not synergy, it's synergy. But what we, how we did that basically is with balance. Um, so we put the grip in the dead center of the of the bow. If you were to take the axle axle um, and then go, you know, dead center, that's right where the grip is. Now most grips 
widths are anywhere from an inch and a half to two and a half inches below center. Um, so uh, a lot of other companies, they actually want to knock at center to get the best knock travel uh, that, that you can. And so uh, in the past, there's been companies that have put that grip in center, but they didn't take care of that knock travel. And so they had a great aiming bow um, to where, you know, it was a very balanced system right out of the box without stabilizers or anything, but it didn't tune well. Um, so what we did with ours is that's where we developed the TRK cam system. Uh, the top cam is, is noticeably larger than the bottom one, and that's to, to make sure that that knot travel is still perfect, even though we move that grip up. Um, and so with those two systems together, still having a great tuning bow and great knot travel, by having that grip in center, um, we were able to effectively ship a bow that holds like it has 12 ounces, a 12 ounce stabilizer in, in that, you know, front stabilizer mount, but not have it there. Um, so uh, the, the Synergy um, is a 31 inch bow. Uh, last year's model was the Rides, which is 31 inches. They're almost, you know, a lot of the specs are real similar. Um, in order to get the Rise to hold and aim as steady as the uh, Synergy, you'd have to add 12 ounces. Um, but if, you know, if you compare the Synergy to other manufacturers' bows that are, you know, two inches, two and a half inches below center, that could be more, you might have to add 16, 18 ounces on their bow to stabilize it like ours right out of the box. Mm. Yeah, and you guys did some, sort of some interesting testing to, or to demonstrate, you know, the practical value of this to a shooter. Uh, and you have, again, I think there's some videos on your website. I know we got to play with it uh, a little bit at ATA. Uh, by mounting a laser pointer uh, on the bows and uh, getting to full draw and, and actually seeing how much less movement and how much smaller of an area you were able to hold your aim with the synergy versus other bows. Oh, yeah. We were um, able to uh, uh, improve up to 60% better uh, aiming. Though you could hold a steadier, um, you could hold your sight pin steadier by 60%. So, and, and, and once it's like, if you could hold at maybe 20 yards, you could hold your, um, uh, your sight pin at like a, like a one inch, um, diameter, you'd be able to, to shrink that down to, you know, a half inch or, or under. And in, in some cases, um, and, and so that was huge. Um, a lot of people, the, the feedback is, is they, they must've had target panic before because it just, you know, before their pin was just herky jerky and it always, you know, when they were watching that pin move around the target, they just felt really a lot of anxiety that they didn't even know they had. But when they, when they, um, shoot the, the synergy, that pin movement is slower. It's moving less and people are just a lot more relaxed. Um, uh, feeling and they're like, well, maybe maybe I had a little bit of target panic before. I uh, didn't realize it, um, but it's it just yeah, that pin movement is is uh, is huge um, in, into the uh, overall accuracy of, of somebody. And so um, you can still put a stabilizer on it. We're not saying you know that that you shouldn't, but we just feel like if you're spending that much money on a bow, it, it should come out really pretty pretty balanced right outside of the box and then you can have a lighter setup um there's been other bows that have um you know have a, a the overall bow mass is less than the synergy 
But then again, they have to go on and add another pound, pound and a half of stabilizer just to get that thing to balance out. And when you do that, you know, it's it's just a a real heavy, expensive bow at that point. and with the synergy, you can pull it right out of the box. And if you're if you're a, a tree stand guy, going to shoot 20, 30 yards, don't even put a stabilizer on it. Um, save that mass, save that weight. Um, and if you're a tree stand, you can keep those that front uh, uh, the front profile of that that um, bow. You know, uh, you know where that stabilizer that's six to twelve inches. Maybe you have a twenty inch stabilizer or something like that that could get caught on a limb or something like that. You won't have that. So. Um, that those are some of the little side benefits there of, of shooting a bow that comes pre-balanced. Sure. Um, and, and, and you guys are offering this Synergy bow in three different versions, correct? That's correct. There's the, the Synergy that's 31 inches, um, and then we have a Synergy hybrid. Um, or sorry, that's 33 inches, uh, my mistake. Uh, and then the hybrid is 35 inches. And then we have a Synergy Air, um, which is uh, 33 inches. Uh, it's real similar to the Synergy, um, but we were able to take a quarter pound out of the riser. Um, for, for people that have shorter draw lengths or, or shoot um, something less than you know 60 pounds or 60 pounds or less, you don't need to hold um, as much mass. Um, and we think, you know, uh, so for women, for youth, um, uh, anybody with that shorter draw length or for that uh, draw weight, we have the, the Synergy Air. Gotcha. So, so there you have it, folks. I mean, it's been a very, very interesting show today because, you know, sometimes, I mean, I'll, I'll just, uh, last week, okay, I, I recorded a, uh, an episode with Michael Waddell, and, you know, well, we talked about all kinds of stuff, and we talked about hunting stories, and we talked about some politics, and, you know, it was interesting. Um, no more interesting than today, uh, well, I'm talking to a couple of engineers here, and these guys, they don't have a TV show, and they're not you know, well, they're marketing their own products, but they're not building a brand or anything like that. This has been awesome technical information, and you guys are, are part of a group that I refer to collectively as the unsung heroes of our sport because, you know, we're not going to necessarily turn on the Outdoor Channel and see your face. Uh, we're not going to see you, you know, maybe in a magazine ad, but yet you are the guys that are pushing the boundaries of this technology and at the end of the day, you're helping to build, you know, a better mousetrap, as it were, as making the average bow hunter, of which, you know, uh, you know, I may be a little better than average. You guys are probably a little better than average. But really, at the end of the day, I don't think of myself as all that much different than all the other guys that I bow hunt with. And, and, you know, to be able to get an extra inch of accuracy, you know, on that shot of a lifetime, that could be, you know, everything. So I thank you for what you guys do and for taking, you know, the knowledge that you have and the passion that you have for our sport and and then using it to to serve all of us collectively. So super, super uh, appreciative of your time. and, And I know that having used G5 products, having shot prime bows, uh, I took a nice bear a couple of years ago with a prime bow up in New Brunswick. I mean, it really does perform in the field. So uh, glad to see that you're doing so well and keep up the good work because I want you to, you know, I need all the advantages I can get. So don't rest on your laurels. Keep on coming up with new stuff so I can get a little more advantage next year too. 
No, we appreciate the, the comments, Christian. And, and that's, that's really is our goal with, with Prime and G5 is, I mean, if we can keep innovating and kind of keep pushing that technology, I mean, ultimately, the goal for, for us and, and really, you know, um, is to keep uh, making, uh, improving accuracy and ultimately making archery more enjoyable and fun. And I think the more that happens, you know, whether it's us or other people, you know, other manufacturers pushing that, that's, that's how we grow. That's how we grow archery. That's how we grow bow hunting is making it more enjoyable because that's, that's what, that's what it's about, right? Absolutely. And I told you guys before we started that it goes by really fast. Believe it or not, our time is up and, uh, we'll have to come back another time and, talk about more and uh hopefully you guys have some great hunting adventures lined up for this year and uh i'll look forward to catching up with you and and seeing how uh, you make out in the field with all these great new products that you have sounds good very good yep take Thanks care guys thank you for listening to peterson's bow hunting radio the official podcast of hardcore bow hunters Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bowhunting on your local newsstand or check us out on the web at bowhuntingmag.com.